Welcome to this week's podcast from Gathering Place Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, please visit our website at gatheringplacechurch.com. Thankful that you're here and I've been praying and excited to share this word with you. As you're being seated, why don't you just go ahead and look to your neighbor. I know a, a good preacher gives his, um, the message of his title away several points in, but I'm going to go ahead and give it to you now. Just go ahead and look at your neighbor. Say, prepare to change. Prepare to change. I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, great. It's a sermon on change. Um, what have I got myself into this morning? But I believe, Troy, if you could take a look at that. You guys got it. But I believe this morning that if we can prepare to change, and kind of a, a phrase I've been living by recently in some situations or just in life is being scared. I'm scared at times, but thank God I'm prepared. Yeah. I mean, there's, you can be fearful or scared in a moment, but when you're prepared, you can have some confidence as you walk the things that God has put in your heart and put on your life as you move forward. But this morning, I want to look at the prophet Malachi, and really a word that he says of when the presence of God comes, are you ready for it? Can you handle it? Have you been preparing for it? Look what Malachi 3, 1 through 2 says. It says this. It says, look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple the messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse two, but who will, abide, who will be able to endure it when it comes, when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. As I read this and I began studying, I began preparing and just praying over this service, I began to thank God that we serve a God who wants to prepare us for when he comes, when he touches us. And I've shared this before in, in series past, but when the presence of God comes, there's usually two sides to the coin. You see his justice, but on the other side, you see his mercy. You see his love, but then you see uh, the how he maybe wants to confront some things in your life. And the best way we change, the best way we become by grace who Jesus was by nature is when we get ourselves in the presence of God. And really my heart as your pastor, as your shepherd, is to always be pushing you to get to the presence of God. And so Malachi is really giving a warning. He's putting a standard that when the presence of God comes, are you ready? for what's gonna happen, or are you ready for what he's going to touch? Are you prepared? You might be scared, but are you prepared? And so this morning, again, I want to talk about being prepared, being prepared for the change that comes into your life when the presence of God touches you. We know our Bible says he takes us from glory to glory, from faith to faith, that we're constantly to be moving, to be growing, that we're not to stay stagnant in this life but we're to continue to grow in our faith and in the things of God. And so I was thinking here in the scripture where um, when the presence of God comes, how it wants to confront some things in our life. And I think we need to get 
a proper understanding if we don't know of what that word confront means. If you look it up, Webster says this. He says it's to face up and to deal with it. I honestly believe if we just face up and deal with the things in our life that are keeping us in bondage, that are keeping us in prison, that are causing pain, hurt, or grief, if we would just trust God when his presence comes and say, okay, this is God's touch to empower me to face up and to deal with the things that are blocking breakthrough in my life. Another translation means to meet face to face. And so when you meet with Jesus, you get in your prayer room, maybe he brings some things up. It's getting face to face and saying, okay, let's deal with this and let's move forward. Let's find the healing my soul, my heart needs so that I can be made into the image, into the likeness of Jesus. You know, you think the church, the liturgical cycle, the season of the church that we're in this Christmas season would be known as the season of Advent. And Advent is all about preparation, that we're preparing for something, that we're preparing for the coming of Christ. And what's amazing is when you read scripture, just like in Ephesians, it says to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what it's saying there is that there is constant fillings we're gonna need throughout our life to be renewed and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful that he just doesn't say, here's one touch, I'll see you next uh, Christmas. But it's when we get in his presence, say, Holy Spirit, I'm struggling with this, I'm dealing with this, I need to be filled. And so when I think about Advent, I think about what the prophet Malachi is saying here, is that we need to always be preparing ourselves for the coming of Christ into our lives, for his coming touch, for his mercy, for his love, for his grace, but also for his chastisement, for what he wants to confront, for the work of transformation he wants to do. That this journey, that this life, is we are preparing ourselves for the second coming of Christ. Yes, Christ will come again in physical. He will rescue his church. But in this life, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he wants to come and touch us day in and day out. He wants to come and touch you here and now. And so we need to prepare for that. There's a great quote from Bonhoeffer, who was one of the most influential Christian leaders of the 20th century. And Bonhoeffer, if you know anything about his story, he was a professor, he was a pastor of an underground church in Nazi Germany and did amazing things to rescue uh, Jews out of concentration camp, to rescue those, to be um, a shepherd and a pastor in such a tragic time in our humanity. And one of, uh, a book he wrote on discipleship is probably one of his most famous, but he wrote a second book that was actually unfinished He was in the process of writing it before uh, the Nazis burst into his underground church, pulled him away, persecuted him, tortured him, and then eventually would be martyred for his faith. But he was in the process of writing a work uh, that was on ethics. And one of the most popular quotes out of that book, Ethics, is this, and this is what uh, began to hit me right in between the eyes. The quote is this, is when a human being confronts Jesus, The human being must either die or kill Jesus. I know when you read that, you're like, oh my gosh, that's a little extreme. Let me read that again. But I think it's intended to be a very extreme statement because that's really when the coming of Christ comes, do we either get around it and behind it and allow that work to take place? Or are we going to shun it, to turn from it? And in essence, and I'm gonna back this up, this statement here as as I... went through it, are we killing off what Jesus is wanting to do in our life? Look at it, look at it here. 
when you look at Luke 19, 45 through 47. So what we see is when Malachi is prophesying of this, this is really the moment when Jesus enters into the temple. So he's saying, be prepared for when the presence of God comes into the temple. Well, we see this fulfilled in Luke chapter 19. And this is really a moment we see Jesus of what angers him. And I don't know about you, but growing up, when I found something that maybe angered my parents or angered my teachers, I would lean in a little bit and make sure I never did that thing because I didn't want to be on the other side of their anger. And so when you see a scripture like this, what we're about to read, it's good to lean in and say, okay, is this what angers the heart of God? I don't want to be on the other side of that, or I want to learn from what angers the heart of God. Look what it says. It says in verse 45, it says, then Jesus entered the temple, and as he entered the temple, as the prince of God came into the temple, what did he do? He began to drive out the people who were selling animals for sacrifices, and this is the priesthood. This is God's, the men of God, that were supposed to be stewarding it, so it's not lay people, or it, this was the priesthood and how corrupted it had gotten. So it's saying he began to drive out the people. Verse 46, it says, he said to them, the scriptures declare this, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. 47, it says, and after that, and here's what I want you to see, and after that, this had just taken place, caused this ruckus in the temple that day, turned everything on its head. He says, after that, the leading priest, the teachers of religious law and other leaders, i.e. Caiaphas, Herod, the, the Roman leaders, they began to get together. And what does it say they began to do? They began to plan how they can kill Jesus. And so I'm telling you, if we're not prepared to change, and this is really the main point I want to bring out, and Bonhoeffer gets it so right, when a human being confronts Jesus, the human being either has to die or we kill Jesus. That's why we see throughout scripture that it is a dying of self and we have to be born again, that we give a new nature. We're given through baptism, regeneration. It is a new baptism. It is a new life. And I'm telling you, when the presence of God comes, it wants to kill the works of the flesh, the things that hurt the heart of God, the part of you that wants to stay addicted or the insecurity, the anxiety, the fear. Those are the things that your God wants to kill in your life. But if we don't allow him, what we're saying is just as we saw there, they couldn't embrace the change that Jesus was bringing in. So what did they do? They got together and they put a plan together. How can we kill Jesus? We're not going to have this. He's disrupting our money. He's disrupting the order. He's disrupting our power. He's touching our pride. This is not going to be. And so they put a plan together. How are we going to kill Jesus for what he's wanting to do? Again, I go back to Malachi. He says in verse two, but who will be able to endure it when he comes? The priesthood was not able to endure the touch of Jesus when he came into the temple. Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? They weren't. For he will be, again, like a blazing fire that refines metal. I think that's something, if we want to see the transformative work of God in our life, he wants to refine us. And the hope that we have when we've fallen short, when sin has had its effect in our life, or we've made poor choices, God is a God of restoration. 
and he wants to restore us. He wants to, to make us new again. He wants to cleanse us and to wash us. And so when you understand the story of God, it's not just, just this feeling and this weight all the time, but it's this place of, here's the truth, and I'm training toward truth, but I know my sin nature is going to rise up at times when I'm not being led by the Spirit. And so as I'm wrestling with that, there's times I'm going to fall and, and shame is going to try to knock on the door and guilt and condemnation. The devil's going to try to sneak in. But what we have to be aware of is that God is a God of restoration. And when we turn to him, he will restore you and he will do a great work in your life. That's how good God is and that's how amazing grace is, is that it has a restorative work attached to it. So again, Bonhoeffer gives us this extreme statement, but I see it as so true because blaspheming the Holy Spirit is stopping his work in your life. We see that in scripture. It tells us very clearly that when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, the deep understanding of that is you are saying no to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're cursing him. You're saying, I don't want the flow. I don't want the touch. I don't want his transformative work to have his way in my life. Look what scripture says in Psalms 27, 13. I love this. And we sang about this this morning in the goodness of God, that song wasn't scheduled, but I believe it was for this purpose. Psalms 27, 13, it says, yet I am confident. So this is the confidence we have to have when the presence of God comes to confront our lives, that I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. So it's saying, I know I'm gonna see the goodness of God when I'm with Jesus, when I'm in heaven, when I leave this body and go to be with him. But what David is saying here, I wanna be confident. I wanna see the Lord's goodness in the here and in the now. Anybody else there? You wanna see the Lord's goodness now. And so I was thinking about a character in the Bible because here's kind of the understanding I've always had of the word of God and it's just brought life to me. And what we have to be careful of and even be aware of as many times we love taking the word of God and using it as binoculars because it's full of truth, it's full of vision, it's full of hope, it guides and directs our lives. So we love always kind of looking at it like this. Okay, God, I'm staying in my lane. Where are you taking me? Where are we going? Sometimes we even like to take it and point it at our spouse and point out some flaws and use the word of God to back it up. Or we, we go over to people we don't really like and we try to get justified and say, I'm, I'm using the word of God. You need to change. You need to change. When we're not ever looking at ourselves at the pl in the plank in our own eye. So there is, yes, an aspect of using the word of God. And Jim, I love you, man. I, this, you're a good guy, okay? But here's also where we really see when God comes to us is there's the lens and the binocular, but there's also the mirror where we need to turn it and look like this. I think we do a lot of this, but we don't do a lot of this. And look at our own self, look at our own sin, look at our own humanity and say, Holy Spirit, this is me. Touch me, change me, love me, walk with me, but also confront me as I train in truth. And I'm telling you, when you begin to look at it this way and this way, and you have both of this going on, it's almost like the scripture comes alive that the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. And when you're doing this, you're gonna see the presence of God, the goodness of God come into your life because you're staying in that walk and staying in that vein. And so a character of the Bible I wanna give you, and I plan on doing a series on the book of Job uh, later on in the new year, 
but some points that I've just really been wrestling with as I've been reading the book of Job is you see the book of Job, who's, Job is called a blameless, um, a bl- he's a blameless character, so it wasn't because of his sin, but it was through the testing of his faith. And what's we can all identify, and I'm so thankful the book of Job is in the word of God because it's a book you really wrestle with because through Job's affliction and through his pain, he never really gets answers for why, so it's unexplained. And I think we go through life and a lot of things seem unexplained, and we ask the why question, but sometimes we never feel we get the answers that we're looking for. So Job is a relatable guy. And honestly, every character you see in the book in the word of God has to go through some sort of trial, through some sort of situation that you really see their humanity. It's just not all these glowing characters and they just glow and there's angels around them all the time and they just do amazing things. But you see their humanity intertwined into it and it gives people like you and me some hope that we can trust God even through the valleys in our life. And so we see the book of Job and if you read Job chapter one, you immediately want to go over to Psalms because it's a, it's a lot to take in and a lot to really understand and a lot to read. You just want to kind of skip over it. But what's pretty neat about the book of Job, it's 42 chapters. And again, talking about the restorative work of God, that when it's easy to kind of back away and just look at the trial, look at what he's going through, but never catch the restoration that took place in his life. And that's just what I want to focus on for a second is the restoration that took place in Job's life. A couple of you are staring at me. Yes, it's called Job, not Job, by the way. If you need a job, call it Job today, and let's believe God you're going to get a job. Um, There's a good Job joke, but I want you to look at, real quick, at Job 42.12, because this is where we see the restorative work of God, the restorative hand of God come into his life. It says, it says, the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. And this phrase that came into my spirit, and I just want to declare over you this morning, if you find yourself in a Job season, or pain has just come into your, uh, your story, maybe you're struggling with something at home, maybe you got a doctor's report, you're going through a tough time. I want you to hear this, that God is not through blessing you, that this is not the end of your story and to stay faithful through it, and to stay faithful to the goodness of God. And so we see the restorative work of God. And he says that in the second half of his life, Job was blessed more than even in the beginning. So we see that take place. But what I want to point out quickly is this. And I never really knew this. I don't know if you knew this fact about Job. But a lot of theologians, they debated and they discussed how long was his point of affliction in his life? How long was the journey of pain that he walked through? Being 42 chapters, you would think, man, this drug out. It even says that Job lived to be around 140 years old. So how long was this pain in his life? Well, surprisingly, I was shocked by this, but most theologians would agree and come to the same understanding that it was somewhere between one month and nine months that this pain took place in his life. I don't know if you were in the same boat as me, but I always thought it was drug out for a long time. But really, what we see recorded is a short season of his life. But it was so magnified because of the death and what had happened and how it took place. And I want you to hear this too, because when I think about the ministry of Jesus, I think about Christmas. Isaiah 61 says this, and this is the hope that we have when we're going through pain 
or the presence of God is confronting, we're preparing to change. We know it. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. Here's what I want you to see. And it says, and to proclaim that captives will be released and that prisoners will be freed. Now, when I was reading this, there's two different types of bondage you see at the end of, of Jesus' ministries here that he wants to touch. He says, I want captives to be released and I want prisoners to be freed. Now, when I think of a captive, that is someone that has been kind of taken against their will, someone who has been kidnapped or someone who has been taken and put in a prison of circumstances. They didn't really, they didn't cause it, but uh, someone walked out on uh, the marriage and then found themselves in being a captive of now trying to figure out what the new normal or what this looks like. And so we see that he says, I wanna rescue the captive. And we all get behind that and we're all thankful for that, that when a situation happens in our life, that the goodness of God is there, that we can have this truth and we can have this promise that Jesus' heart is to rescue me out of my captivity, that I have this promise and I have this hope. But here's where we see grace come in where, and again, this just shows how amazing grace is. Then we see, and the prisoner will be freed. Now, when you think about the prisoner, so the captive was caused by the enemy, but the prisoner is usually caused by the enemy, putting myself in that place that I caused this to happen in my life. I walked out on the marriage, so now I, I, I've, I'm paying the price for what had happened, or um, I, th because of my circumstances, because of the action, I have put a prison in my life. I deserve what I'm getting, is what that's saying. But here's how amazing our God is, is that he looks at the captive, and he looks at the prisoner, and he uh, declares grace over them. And he says, my power goes beyond even if you deserve it. Even if you don't deserve it, my grace is still enough. There is still hope that you can be healed, that you can be freed, and that you can have purpose. You can have restoration in your life again. So when you think about the ministry of Jesus, that's why as I've walked in this and in this season of uh, just of pastoring, you get you understand more of the grace of God because you see him work as much in the captive as well as in the prisoner and you see his touch, and you see his hand. But looking at Job quickly, what we see God confront before he restores and before he blesses is number one, you see him remove wrong voices out of his life. And this is for you this morning. If you're caught in a situation, I wanna challenge you as Job was challenged, is you need to remove some voices out of your life. This is just very practical what we need to do in order to keep uh, our vision fixed, to keep our gaze fixed, that we have to remove voices out of our life that aren't of God. Look at where we see this happen. We see uh, in Job 42.7, it says, uh, really the Lord comes and he says he's angry. And you never wanna be on the other side when God says I'm angry, I would not wanna be in that situation not knowing what's about to happen or take place. So it says, God says I'm angry. But see, he doesn't talk to Job directly, he's angry at Job's friends. I mean, Job had some pretty bad friends that were constantly manipulating and misrepresenting God, saying, why don't you just curse God and give up? And so God becomes angered. He says, I am tired of my name being stomped on. I am angry at this situation. And so God shows up and says, we're gonna do something about this. 
And so that's what we see take place, that God was angry of not being spoken accurately about. I want to tell you this one thing I do know about voices in my life and voices in your life is you may not be able to control the voices that are around you, the things people are posting about you, the things people are saying in the other cubicle about you. That's life. That thing, people are going to gossip. People are going to talk. People are going to critique. People are going to criticize. People aren't going to get you. And so what do they do? Your flesh says just blah. I, I know we can't control that all the time, but here's the truth we have to rest on and what we can control is we can't control what goes on around us, but you need to know, and I need to know, we can control what we let speak into us. That's the truth we have. And I'm telling you, Job, it wasn't necessarily the voices around him, even though there was those voices, but it was the voices that he was letting speak into him, saying, why don't you just curse God? Give up, this is not worth it. And so over, and for 37 chapters, Job heard over and over again, give up, stop, give up, stop. God is not good. There's no goodness of God here. And so I'm telling you, if you're looking for change and breakthrough, evaluate the voices. Let's go on a spiritual level. Maybe it's the voices of fear, the voices of doubt, the voices of unbelief, the voices of pain and brokenness that you're just allowing to replay in your life. And like I said, we can't allow ourselves to be attached to a mountain high emotion in our life and a valley low emotion because then you're always going like this and there's never that consistency in your life that you're, you're constantly just trying to get into that good place all the time and not allowing the good place to come up within you yes. and to be consistent within you. Wow. Am I preaching good this morning, you guys? Are we good? Yes. Number two is this, is we have to replace complaining with gratitude. I wanna close with this. Job 42, five through six says this, it says, I have only heard about you before, Job talking, but now I have seen you with my own eyes and I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. You see, when the presence of God comes and what Advent again is all about is it's putting ourselves in this place of waiting, of preparing, of repenting to celebrate the arrival of Jesus, to celebrate the arrival of the second coming of God. And what we see here, and if you go and you read Job 3, Job kind of gave in a little bit, and he began complaining about what he was going through. It got to him. The voices got to him. And so he comes to this place when God shows up, and he says to show, I want to change, and I want to be restored. I, I'm sorry he says he put himself in a place of repentance. And I'm telling you, when you repent, it's so much be deeper than saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's a complete turn. It's a way, it's a change of thinking. It's a change of attitude. It's a change of how I'm addressing the situation. I'm changing, I'm repenting. And so we see Job repent and change. Now here's a truth I've found in my life, and I think it's just a truth in general. As many times when our life has this GPS to it. We want to think and we want to believe that both complaining and gratitude that we can put them in as the same uh, put them in as the same coordinates to get us to where we want to go. That when we want to get to our destination or our destiny, we want to have this 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 belief that I can get there complaining, that I can get there with a bad attitude, that I can get there and making sure that everyone is positioned to see how wrong. Uh, they were about what I was doing. 
that that's just what our flesh wants to say and what our flesh wants to do is, is show everyone and put it in their face when that's not how God works. He's more concerned about you becoming like Jesus than getting you to a place. And so if you find yourself keep walking around the mountain and never really moving forward, never seeing breakthrough, put yourself like Job did. Sit in a place of repentance. Get the word of God. Get it off the binoculars and get it on the mirror and say, what is it? Is it an attitude? Is it a motive? Is it something that is keeping me stuck? Because honestly, we stay stuck. And if we don't allow ourselves to move forward and allow change to take place, then we'll find ourselves again, always being in a circle and staying stuck. And there's nothing worse than feeling stuck when you feel you've tried everything. And I'm telling you, the only answer is the presence of God. And when he comes, it's not always a pat on the back. There's a part of that when you need to be loved and you're grieving or whatever the situation is. But when you are seeking real change, it comes in a way that says, let me touch a few things. Let me confront a few things to make you ready for that refiner's fire. That's how good God is. And that's how much he loves us. I want you to stand this morning and I want to pray for you. You know, what's amazing is, again, you read the restorative word to God, and you saw it there for just a little bit in 42 verse 7. But what you'll see is that God gave him double for his trouble. God restored blessing back to him that he had so many cattle and uh, the, the far, everything of his wealth, and it was restored double to him. So it's, it's to show the picture of a restorative work that took place. Now, here's an amazing truth about God, too is that when God, you give God something, he never returns it back in its original form. So when you give God a seed of something, when you plant it, you're not just gonna get an apple back. You're gonna get a tree. And that tree is gonna grow apples and more apples, season in, season out. That's how God works in, in, a, in an amazing way like that. And so understand and take it to the bank with you that what you're going through is never in vain. What you're going through does not have purpose attached to it. And again, this is how amazing the grace of God is. Whether you put yourself there, whether the enemy put yourself there, or whether we live in a fallen world so life puts you there, God is bigger than all the shakes and quakes that want to come into our life. And I want to encourage you this morning that you, I can't express hope, I can't express grace enough that this is what we celebrate, this is what we prepare for. And so Joel, I love this, Joel 2.25 says it this way, and this is when I want to pray. He says, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. In other words, I will restore to you the years that sickness has touched your body. I will restore to you the, the years that the enemy showed up in your home and messed with your kids or messed with your family, messed with your marriage. I'm telling you, when the presence of God comes, a restorative work is right behind it to begin to touch you and to do it. But the key is, are you ready to handle what God wants to do? Are you prepared? The priesthood wasn't. When Jesus came in the temple, he saw no one was prepared, so he turned the tables, and he brought truth, and he brought order back into the scene and back into the situation. And so what I want to pray for you this morning is the restorative work of God to begin to show up in your situation, in your season, whatever you're going through, 
that let's believe and let's trust the goodness of God. Does that sound good this morning? If you bow your head, just lift your hands. Father, we come to you with open, with expectant hearts. Father, we trust you with what you're go- we're going through. We're trust- we trust you in the seasons of our life. And we choose to not let our pain identify us, but what the promises of God say will identify us. So right now in a posture of receiving, receiving God, any place that we aren't seeing the restoration of God in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships, in our finances, just will you name it. God, we ask that heaven would restore it right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we seek you. And as Malachi urged and warned that we would be prepared for the refiner's fire. And like we sang this morning, when the goodness of God is leading us, he will take us through that fire. And when we come out on the other side, our attitude's gonna change, our vision's gonna change, our mindset's gonna change, that we're gonna be more like Jesus because of it. And that's our goal in this life. So right now, Holy Spirit, we receive restoration. Do this work in us in the name of Jesus. Get any delusion, get any deception, get any wrong theology, wrong lies about who we are in Christ. Get it out in the name of Jesus. God, let us see the goodness of God even in the toughest parts and the toughest seasons of our life, that you're working. Even when we don't see it, you are working, and we serve a way maker. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Can you put your hands together and can we thank God this morning? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, before we um, prepare to give, I just want to say a huge thank you. Uh, Many of you know Giving Tuesday uh, was this past Tuesday. And we had done a fundraiser on Facebook, just to put it out there. Let's see what God may do. And over, this is amazing, over 46 donors came in and came behind this. And within a span of less than 24 hours for the expansion of Zion Christian Academy, we raised $5,260 on Giving Tuesday. That's amazing. If you just want to thank you. Awesome. Thank you very much. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for those that gave into this. We thank you that they are sowing their seed into this cause. And we thank you, Lord, and we pray that you would just bless them. And we thank you for what you're doing in this house as they stand and they believe for your goodness here at this school, Zion Christian Academy. We thank you, Lord, that you're moving in this place and that all those that are standing that donated are believing alongside of all of us, whether they gave or didn't give, that we're standing together knowing that we're going to move this thing forward with your help. In Jesus' name, thank you for all of those that donated. Yes. Thank you so much that you were part of that $5,000. Well, and the great thing about it is, too, is that Facebook does a thing where they match up to a certain amount. So in several weeks, we're going to get a notification saying, this allotment of funds are going to be matched by Facebook. So that uh, amount could increase. And we just want to encourage you, too, if you didn't donate there, uh, next week is our Heart for the House offering. That we really short. Yeah, it was a quick window. And uh, next week is our Heart for the House offering where we want to give sacrificially 
into the future of Zion Christian Academy. And as you came in this morning, you saw the dirt tracks, you saw uh, the backhoes in the back digging our sewer line. Um, it's caused a lot of change in the school, hasn't it, Kathy, that we've had to reroute every child through the front door, and we caused some change with some parents, but um, it's always takes being flexible in a construction project, so uh, we're thankful for that too. But again, next week, all we're asking is take an offering of a home with you. Just be praying as we've been sharing about this offering for several weeks. Be praying what God would have you give and know that 100% is going right into this project. And I honestly believe that right now in the season of our church, this is our moment and this is our time. So let's accelerate it. Like that's what is amazing about offerings like this or like Giving Tuesday is we might not be able to control the vision and everything, but God gives us the power to accelerate it. And this is an opportunity to accelerate it through our sacrificial giving, through our care, and through investing into to this project. So I just wanna thank you as your pastor just for trusting God, believing God, that you're planting seed uh, into good ground. Um, as the ushers come, we'll pray and uh, over this uh, offering today, over our tithe and offering. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to give. We thank you for what you did on Giving Tuesday that your hand of provision is here in this place. We thank you for Zion Christian Academy, that it's not about a building, it's a part of it, but it's about reaching students, training children to be world changers. Father, we thank you that you've blessed us with this work and we wanna steward it. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. We all have a good time. Everybody looked so wonderful. It was so fun to dress up and see everybody just looking so elegant. And there's some pictures. Um, we, we really did. It was a good meal um, and just such a good time to, to get together and um, really support a cause, which mm -hmm. is CareNet. We're going to be doing our baby bottle drive um, next month. Some of you have not participated in that, and we'll let you know all about that. But um, it was so wonderful, and Kim and Tara were so grateful. I don't know mm -hmm. how many diapers that... Um, At least 60 boxes. Everyone okay. brought them. Wow. So, I promise every single diaper, it makes a difference. They, I think they said those over 45,000 diapers between three centers that they used per year. So, you guys really are, are really helping mm -hmm. out. So. No, definitely. Uh, so, we'll be throwing some more pictures up on Facebook there, so make sure you grab it. Seth was there to to take some pictures. Um, and then last but not least, we'll pray and uh, we'll be dismissed. Men, we wanna make sure you get to our Bible study this Saturday at 8.30 here at the church. 
will be coffee donuts, and then we're going to continue on the conversation of what was ignited uh, at the men's conference. Uh, so we'll be leading that and having some great discussion, a time of fellowship. It's only going to be an hour, so make the effort, be here, and we believe you're going to be blessed as uh, we get together as men and get around God's word. Um, Less? Okay. I think that's everything. Awesome. Well, if you'd stand on your feet, we'll pray for you, and you'll be dismissed. I got to say this, too, about as we've been in vision. I'm super excited for uh, Kelsey and Corey. Corey was just sharing a vision that he's stepping out on, and maybe you've seen it on Facebook as they're preparing things. But they're stepping out and doing movement coffee, uh, which is uh, really a hobby, now a passion, now something you want to see move forward, you and Kelsey. Right. (laughs) Buy movement coffee this Christmas. But I'm just encouraged by them taking what God's been doing in the house, running with the vision. And that's just something they told me. I know many of you, God's been stirring things in your heart and in your life. But continue trusting him, continue stepping out. And we're excited for all that God's going to continue to do in your guys' life. But if you'd lift your hands. Father, we thank you for what you've done in the house this morning. I pray your blessing, your grace, your mercy over Gathering Place Church. Father, we thank you for restoration. God, that as we get in our quiet place this week, as we seek you, as we worship you, as you capture our hearts, as you capture our soul, our strength, God, that we would become made into the image and the likeness of Christ, that we have hope through affliction, we have hope through pain, and we have purpose. So Father, open up our eyes to see what you are doing. We trust you this day. Bless your people. Bless this church. Bless this vision. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed. For more messages like this one, check out our website at gatheringplacechurch.com.